Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of Positive Aging Sourcebook. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. The new strain of the COVID-19 has caused concern, especially for older adults and vulnerable populations. Today, we have a discussion that was live and interactive with lots of questions to better understand the medical and pharmaceutical data and implications. We're going to have a talk today with Alan Dappen, MD, who is the founder of Doc Talker Family Medicine, and Michelle Fritz, who is a geriatric clinical pharmacist. So let's jump into the discussion. Here, and I am going to welcome our two panel members, Dr. Dappen and Michelle Fritz, um, to the stage. And uh, our first order of business is getting to know the two of these folks a little bit better. And then we're gonna dive into, you know, this whole COVID Delta variant thing and what we can do for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our clients to be better prepared. Um, so uh, let, let's, let's do ladies go first today and uh, let's get to know Michelle first, and then I'll go to Dr. Dappen. Michelle, um, I've worked with you on a few projects. You've got a really unique background. Share with uh, folks, you know, who you are and what you've done in your career leading up to what you're currently doing. Thank you, Steve. I'm so glad to be here. And Dr. Dappen, so glad to meet you today as well. Um, I am a clinical pharmacist. And my specialty has always been geriatrics, which I define as sort of care of people over about age 60. And my career has taken me to a lot of different places, which is pertinent to why you invited me to be here today. Um, but I've, I've practiced in those big healthcare teams where you've got the doctors and the nurses and the therapists and everybody working together. I've worked in other places where it was more of a serving underserved geriatric populations in, in different parts of the country. Um, along the way, I've been a professor. So most of my career, I've been a, a professor teaching mostly pharmacists, but also nurses and doctors and physician assistants and PTs and all sorts of other people. And then in 2014, 15, I left academia and what we would call traditional practice to start my own business, which is retirement wellness strategies. And the thing that's pertinent to today's discussion is when all of this started, clients, form, uh, former and current clients and friends and colleagues around the country were asking questions and they're like, oh my goodness, so much information and it's all conflicting. What does the science say? So back in March of 2020, I did a webinar to say, okay, here's what I can find in the science at this point. And for as long as the audience keeps asking questions, I'll keep doing updates. And this is like week 81. So this has been going on for a long time. This, this is great. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm so excited to have both of you on because you're both, your journeys are, are somewhat similar and um, you're both in the field of medicine in, in very traditional career path roles, but you've broken out and have, you're both entrepreneurs and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Michelle, You've even uh, are the co-founder, I believe, of a group called Metapreneur. You've coined that term. Right. And that's just for all kind of healthcare entrepreneurs to be able to come together and support each other. So uh, great. So, so with that, Dr. Dappen, I, I can never hear your story um, enough. I love it. Um, but uh, tell everybody about your your interesting career path and the the practice that you currently have and then we'll dive into this uh this topic uh well Stephen, it's going to be uh, you know how you get older you get tired of listening to old people tell their story over and over again so uh you just invited me to uh tell the story that everybody knows 
But uh, about 20 years ago, I got frustrated with healthcare and left the traditional church of health uh, with, the, with the most common idea of how telemedicine could revolutionize uh, medical practice to do a communication-centered practice rather than an office-centered practice. So the theme is not that you don't need to be seen or you don't need to be seen, uh, come to an office periodically, but that most of medical care should be should go through a communication system between doctors and patients first. And then if you need to be seen, that should be arranged. But literally 50% of all things could be handled through a phone call or through any other methods of telecommunication. And uh, so I've been out lecturing and being rejected from journal articles with uh, many uh, reviewers saying it's a ridiculous idea and um, frequently uh, called, uh, uh, you know, given lots of disparaging names at me medical conferences where I've talked. And uh, then as soon as the pandemic happened, of course, everybody screamed, let's do telemedicine. And I was like, okay, I guess uh, <laughs> and now you maybe will understand a little better. Uh, that, so that's one of my unique sides of, the, of our story of starting a traditional medical practice. It's really just an old fashioned idea of, uh, of a doctor and a buggy and an office. And uh, my buggy is my car and a telephone, which is my cell phone, right? And, uh, and just doing an old fashioned kind of medical practice. So I do house calls, I'll see you in the office and I can do telemedicine. So that's my, that's my story. It's great. And, and you work with a lot of older adults because yes, of the fact because of the that you're willing calls. to travel and work with a lot of senior communities. Um, full disclaimer, Dr. Dappen is me and my wife's uh, physician. And, I, when, and so I'm always talking about you. And what I remember you said at one lecture, you had, when you started practicing as a doctor, you saw that there was four staff members required for every doctor in, in a practice. And that doctor was seeing people for like two to three minute periods of time. And, and I'll describe your practice for those that are interested. It's not one of these VIP concierge practices, but you could probably compare some of the things that you've heard, but yeah. you, you get a physical with Dr. Dappen. So now he knows you, okay? And then basically you can call him, text him. And um, like, he, like he said, he has the, the opportunity to go on the computer, do a little bit of research and come back to you with his, an answer if, if, as opposed to the pressure cooker of standing there in front of your doctor and he's got to answer a question without doing any research. I can't imagine what how hard that is in, in your profession. So it's, it's really cool. So I know I'm babbling here and nobody's here to listen to me talk, but, um, <laughs> Thank but you, Steve. <laughs> I also want to give a disclaimer. Like uh, my, my good friend, Chuck Thornton, who many of you know, is the one who suggested this topic. He said, Steve, you're always, you know, trying to do these cutting edge programs. Why not do one called what's the deal with Delta? And I was sort of like, well, Chuck, do you have any ideas on who could speak? And he goes, well, no, that's your job. And so I was thinking, you know, a physician and a pharmacist, two professions that are in the in the middle of this whole thing. And I don't want to, you guys are experts, but I want to give a disclaimer. They're just sharing their perspective today on what they've observed in their practice because they are in the middle of it. And uh, hopefully this will be a very interesting discussion. Um, we can start with Michelle and then I'll come back to you, Dr. Dappen. Um, Michelle, in your world, as somebody who's been studying the vaccine for the last 18 months, like what are some of the things that you're seeing out there? And um, I wanna make sure that we, we address Rachel's question that came in earlier as, as well at some point. I think globally, we've got a lot of evidence now that the vaccine is working for those that, that receive it. We have over 2.5 billion people in the world have now received vaccines. That, that number, I never thought in my lifetime we would see something that could reach that many people this quickly around the globe. I mean, that part astounds me. So 2.5 billion people and the evidence, I know there's a lot of discussion about boosters, which we'll get to that, but the evidence that I'm seeing is that those vaccines for the 
vast majority of people are working well to prevent them getting the virus at all. And if they do get the virus, it tends to be just kind of in the sort of the nasal passages. So they have like cold symptoms, but it's not getting down into their lungs and heart, which is where it tends to be the most deadly. So on a global scale, I'm seeing good evidence that it is effective for, in most cases, over 85 or 90% of people. That, that's great. Um, and again, now, prior to this, when you threw out that sort of billion, uh, 2.5 billion, has there ever been sort of one sort of global uh, sort of vaccine that has would even compare to the implementation of, uh, of this. And keep in mind the vaccine's only been available since December. So we're talking nine, 10 months, not, not in my lifetime, not that I'm aware of. Dr. Dappen, are you familiar with no, that? I, I agree. I totally agree. It would be more if uh, there would be more in our country if we had to have the vaccine hesitant. Yeah, and 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 we can dive into that, but uh, let's jump over to Dr. Dappen to you can riff on some of the things that Michelle may have introduced. But what I'm kind of you're sort of feet on the street. You've got these clients that are coming to you. Some are get are probably catching COVID. Uh, vaccination. The the older adults. What's what are some of the 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 words of wisdom that you're offering to your clients, um, especially older adults, uh, as we move into the fall? Well, so I think that, you know, I was actually very optimistic that we were kind of the pandemic was going to end once the vaccine got rolling. And, um, and actually, uh, I'm on a pandemic relief committee at my religious institution. And I was actually writing to tell everybody they should disband the pandemic relief committee because it was silly to get into all this hair splitting and uh and then and then the delta broke and uh then i'm starting to see patients of my own who were vaccinated showing up who had uh converted to positive reactions to covid enough none of them got seriously sick but enough to go okay this is this uh this belief magical belief system of mine that with the pandemic's over is wrong and uh unfortunately the delta variant has a uh transmission factor of uh six uh, the, the standard COVID is thought to tr transmit to two to three per people. So every infected person will, on average, that something called an R factor, will transmit it to two to three people. But the uh, Delta is is at, at a six right now. Uh, so that means every infected person, on average, will will transmit it to six people. So it is twice as transmissible. It does not appear to be more deadly. Uh, that's the current status that it that I've heard uh, is that it's. It's still killing a lot of people, but it's not worse than the standard one. It just transmits better. Um, so unfortunately, we've had to go back to wearing masks a lot more in the office. And uh, um, yeah, I'm just telling, trying to get everybody who's not vaccinated to have a brief discussion. And I've wasted a lot of wind trying to tell people to go get vaccinated. And, you know, unfortunately, most people are. Um, but we've had to go back to a lot of precautions again with mask wearing. Yeah, with something that's, that contagious, I guess the, um, you know, not just wearing masks in your office. I mean, it's sort of like um, just wearing masks because you, uh, have you seen many patients that are vaccinated and do have? Uh, we've had four total uh, in the last uh, month or two that were vaccinated that turned positive. No, again, none of them got sick very seriously. Um, right. And, you know, I'm, I'm knocking on wood here. I say this every day. Uh, since the pandemic started, we haven't had a single person with COVID enter the office. So um, that's just partly a stroke of luck. And it's partly that we do telemedicine. So anybody who needs to be seen, we are talking to them first. And mm -hmm. so if they, if they have any symptoms at all, we are testing them out in the parking lot. And uh, so i uh, it's just a stroke of luck so far. I've been in a few house calls where people had COVID um, and my wife had to move out of the bedroom a few times. But <laughs> besides that, uh, we've been so far, none of us have gotten sick and, and we've been able to keep the, 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 any floating virus that we're aware of out of the office. So. 
Sunil, do you, do you, and, and, and this is for both of you, but as I'm listening to Dr. Dappen speak, I sort of feel like COVID might be moving into the way that we looked at the flu prior to all this happening is, is that people die from the flu, okay? It's contagious. You know, when we have the flu, we need to stay away from people. You know, never in our wildest dreams did we think that the world had the capacity to wear masks. And I mean, none of us had quarantine in our vocabulary, but now it's something that we know how to do. It, 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 but you, you said a few things that give me relief is, is that, um, that, you know, the death, uh, people dying from this may not be um, may be comparable to uh, the flu. Or what, what are your thoughts on this in terms of moving forward? Can I say not comparable to the flu? Um, okay, all right. We've lost about one in five people since this started. That I just I, I have a very hard time getting my mind around that. And we've already surpassed uh, the number of deaths that we had back in 1918 with that big pandemic. So. It's much worse than the flu. It might settle into those sorts of rates once we have more people vaccinated. But it is, um, I think what you were saying was the Delta variant death rate is not higher than the original variant death rate. Hospitalizations, though, is about two and a half times higher that okay. people that contract Delta are more likely to be in the hospital. I'm trying to look for that ray of sunshine here. I know, I know. Yeah, but, um, but in any event, okay. Well, this is great. And we, we've got questions that have been coming in. Um, and I, I think you guys jump in with any thoughts, ideas, what have you. But I think the best way to run these things is we just start responding to the audience questions. and. Uh, Let's let's kick it off with Diane Gilbert of um, Old Dominion Home Care. She emailed a question in before the event today, and it says the FDA has now approved the booster for the Pfizer vaccine for those 65 plus in age and or with high risk health issues. What are the thoughts of the panelists on receiving this booster? What data is being reviewed to determine this recommendation? And will the Pfizer booster be effective for all people, no matter what the brand of vaccine they initially receive? Um, Diana, great question. And I'm hoping that our panel members have some thoughts on this, but if not, we can ponder it. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Duffin, you want to go first? No, I want you to go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a great question. And this is talk about things that are moving. The Centers for Disease Control, I anticipate, or I'm hearing, is going to come out with a more, a further statement on this today. It feels like if these vaccines were horses that Pfizer's winning the race right now, because they're the first to be authorized for children over 11. They're the first now to be authorized for booster. But the question, we know that Moderna is collecting all of the same data and is anticipated that we'll be able to look at that data very soon. And then Johnson & Johnson's just a few weeks behind that. So whether your vaccine, if you were vaccinated by Moderna or Johnson & Johnson, will have authorized boosters, I think we'll give it a month and I think we'll know that. Um, so that's one thing. Another one is that the, um, the data is we know as we age, our immune system in general, not necessarily everybody, but in general, our immune system's a bit weaker. And we know that certain people are more at risk because they're exposed to it all the time, like Dr. Dappen. And so my understanding of what has been proclaimed here in the last few days, um, still all the people that are known to be immunocompromised, that list came out a few weeks ago. And then people over 65 and people who are kind of essential and exposed frequently. And there's quite a list of teachers and doctors and, and different people on that list. At this moment, 
have been authorized. And my understanding of the reason they didn't, the reason they didn't open it to everyone is that the data didn't show that at eight months, your immunity from the vaccine just poof disappears. At the data that they were looking at so far is that for most of us, those vaccines are still working as they should. Okay, well, thank you. Great, uh, great overview there, Michelle. Any, any thoughts on boosters? My, my only comment uh, to, to add to that is uh, I've been very disappointed um, from a, from a uh, discussion standpoint in the scientific community, the lack of discussion about COVID antibody levels and its meaning in protection. So most of the time in all other vaccines, we can measure an antibody level. It can go from one to thousand, you know, so it should, anything less than one would be a negative test. So we can measure whether you've had chickenpox in the past by looking at an antibody level. And that antibody level has some predictive value for your future getting an outbreak of, of, uh, of the infection again. Um, and so uh, somebody's got this data, but no one's talking about it. And it's very frustrating to me because I think there's a lot of unique individual nuances in everyone's life of, yes, I need to get that vaccine because my antibody levels are X or Y. And there's no discussion about this at all. And um, I'm quite discouraged that there isn't a more nuanced discussion on this rather than just, so what they're doing fundamentally is just the simple answer. We'll just cover uh, these groups and everybody should go do it. And, and it's not that it's necessarily wrong, it simplifies things, but um, I'm a little frustrated that, uh, <laughs> that there's not more scientific nuance to the question. And um, this may or may not uh, be a good lead in to the next question that I've got on the list from Mary Snyder. And she says, would you please address natural Im immunity? I've, I've never heard of this term, but I can certainly, um, does that relate that what you were just talking about there, Dr. Dappin, is, is that some of us yes. have? Yes. Okay. So so, um, so yeah, and the antibody levels being measured, there are different kinds of antibodies that are measured one, uh, uh, for COVID. And so the traditional one from the vaccine is called spike protein antibodies. And, uh, and that, that is the one that is uh, the measurable antibody that's being watched for the vaccine. Um, whereas the standard IgG antibody, there's a COVID, and I know there's several others. I'm only aware of two or three of these kinds of, uh, um, and each of these numbers may mean slightly different things. So um, but yes, you, you acquire uh, a more robust reaction to the uh, natural infection. Um, and so you get antibodies that's, that go up for um, in a numerous neutralizing antibodies. Or, so you actually probably develop a, a so in certain parts of the world, they, just, they did, uh, have decided that getting a natural infection is worth the equivalent of one vaccine just to simplify the discussion. And so there, so certain places I'm saying, okay, if you've been sick, then you should go get one vaccine. Whether, you know, again, everybody's playing different uh, scientific theories um, on this. I did find one study that, that tried to get to what you're saying and they found 14 people, so it's super tiny, but 14 people who had had COVID, known COVID and had a two shot, or two vaccine series, and they found that their immune system was very robust compared to their two vaccine series or their having had it alone colleagues. So the the, nat, the natural immunity plus the vaccines in these 14 people well, was superior. And I've heard that, um, again, I haven't seen the numbers, but I've heard that if you, if you have natural immunity and you get vaccinated, it boosts your immune levels tenfold above what you got is a natural infection. Um, but part of this is at least from some levels, and, and this is where uh, I feel like it, it's in, disingenuous at some levels because let's pretend your immunity for get, not getting sick is 100, just as a choose your IgG antibody if it's 100. So you get the vaccine or you get sick and your immunity goes up to 300. Well, going to 3,000 doesn't change the fact that you still can't get COVID at 300. So, um, so th that it, it boosts your si system 10 times means, okay, that sounds great, but it might be irrelevant because you still can't get COVID because you've already got a level that's going to protect you anyways. So that high level might protect you for a longer period of time, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to be, 
be rushing to go off to get an extra vaccine. Uh, that's not necessary. And that's kind of the question. How long does natural immunity last? Correct. I haven't seen real solid data. And how long does vaccine immunity last? And that's where all the booster conversations are coming in. Right. Great. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, these questions are coming in fast and furious here. And let's see, somebody asks how to get family members and people in your circle of contact contact to get on the same page of understanding or at least going to the same sources for their information and help with decisions to guide our choices so we can help take of each other and protect all based on the complications and multiplication of confusions. Um, well, the person that asked that question, we will have a, 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 a video of this recording that you can share with your loved ones, but I'm curious at any guidance that our panel members can offer in terms of places to go for data or communicating. I'm assuming what she's asking is the vaccine hesitancy, people that are hesitant to get vaccine, people that may or may not agree with wearing masks, um, any words of wisdom that you can offer to, to this person? Well, you know, I, I'm going to say the traditional ones. Uh, um, it, which, so, so I'll just take a segue. Uh, if many people that have uh, told me they don't want to get the vaccine be, before the uh, FDA approved it, they, one of their reasonings was, I don't trust that the FDA hasn't approved it. And my comeback to that was, if they did approve it, you tell me you didn't trust the FDA. So I don't buy it at all that, that just because it hasn't been FDA approved, that that's the reason. Because I'm sure you would take the opposite stance. So. I would say, yes, I'm going to tell you, go to CDC, go to the Virginia Department of Health, uh, go to credible websites that are that have a track record of trying to be on it. You know, they, they are, don't get it always right every time, but they are trying their very darndest to do it. Um, and the public health centers that are working on this are, are, are not trying to be disingenuous. So... I agree. And if you, Dr. Dappen, I don't know if you know this, but if you go to your website, there's a link to Dr. Kevin's podcasts. And when yes. you get to his page, there's a video that addresses that, how to talk to people that are vaccine hesitant in a very respectful way. So I appreciated that video. Oh, this, okay. Well, let me drop uh, Dr. Dappen's uh, website in there for everybody and uh, they can check that out. Um, the, um, uh, let's see, okay, Anne asks, is the annual flu a SARS variant like C-19? It's another coronavirus. It's kind of in that broad family of types of viruses, but I wouldn't call it another SARS. Okay, um, and let's see, um, thanks to one of, our early meetings, we learned that some doctors and nurses and health professionals, these were given special approval and some doctors have license to practice. Some have license to give care in 50. Um, oh, oh, okay. This is a telehealth question. Um, and, and the person is, is um, asking that some healthcare professionals can provide care across state boundaries. Um, Dr. Dappen, maybe could you speak to that? Any comments on providing telehealth to people in other states? How does that work? Well, so this is a really hard question. Uh, so the American Telemedicine Association for years has, trying, has tried to, so what happens is each state has its own set of rules. So I, I am licensed to practice medicine in the state of Virginia but I am not licensed to practice in the state of Maryland or any of the other 49 states, um, which means that one of my patients, if I know who you are, I'm allowed to take care of you in a different state. So that, that interaction already occurs. But if I don't know you and you're calling from a different state, then I'm considered to be practicing medicine without a license in that state. So if you called from California, you're a stranger, and I call you in Prozac, I could be technically um, taken to court for practicing medicine without a license in the state of California. So the American Telemedicine Association has been trying to simplify this by making it so that a doctor who's licensed in any state could take care of people from any in any different state. Um, 
there was a brief period where they actually opened that up. And to my understanding, so that doctors could call across state lines, even to patients who they did not know. But I had heard that that restriction was going to be closed down again. And I don't know what the, and I don't know the details of what's uh, happened with that discussion and where it's at. And I know some professions have gotten further with opening those doors than others. Pharmacy's done a terrible job. So we're, we're restricted to the states where we're licensed. I did not realize that cooperative among physicians had perhaps changed. So, Well, and what's, what's hilarious about it, too, is if you're in Maryland and you call me on a telephone I'm a, and you're my patient uh, and you know who I am and I know who you are, I'm allowed to take care of you through a phone. But if I actually visit you in Maryland and see you face to face, that's considered against the law because I'm not licensed to actually practice in the state of Maryland. So these rules were built many, many decades ago, way many. before the idea of telemedicine even existed. So right. it, they've got a lot of catching up to do and a lot of, uh, um, I don't know, uh, you know, headwinds against all these different groups that are trying to uh, protect their own interests, including well, state medical boards. Along those lines, there are things I've been calling COVID blessings, and my platform is a telehealth platform as well, and people were struggling with it because I work mostly with people well over 60. They were struggling with it, but now during COVID, there have been many incentives for people to get very comfortable with using these video platforms. So in some ways, it's open to the possibilities, and to your point, the rules now really need to catch up. Because talk about the toothpaste out of the tube, it's, it's not going back. <laughs> um, great. And uh, I see our next question is from another pharmacist who is uh, I'm a big fan of, and that's Emily Shoemaker with Vaccine Valet. She is an entrepreneur as well. And she asks, what are your thoughts on getting... IgG and IgA and IgM antibodies before getting a booster. And if you guys, if one of you can decipher what that is, that would be uh, really good. And I'm going to drop Emily's uh, website into chat for those folks that don't know about the vaccine ballet. I know that monoclonal antibodies are now gonna be available in pharmacies, but that's for people that are really high risk who've been exposed or people who've been diagnosed with COVID who thankfully don't yet need the hospital to try to prevent them needing that. As far as other specific um, giving certain antibody or giving that sort of thing before booster, I've seen no data about that. And Emily, if you have, if you could put that in the chat, that would be great. I agree. There's a lot of theoretical concerns uh, with yeah. that, but I haven't seen any data. And a lot of times those theoretical concerns don't end up being valid at all in, in actual clinical testing. So they probably could be mixed together without much issue, but theoretically it could be, it could cause enough symptoms that you have to be, that you need to actually do a study on that question. And I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, let's see. Adele uh, Logan-Galan, I, I sometimes botch her last name. She says, uh, I work with the elderly and have been vaccinated. Should I get the booster? I want to make sure that my clients are protected. My, my understanding from what the FDA has said is that you do fall in that category. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. Kaplan. No, I was going to say, yes, you should get the booster, I think. <laughs> um, let's see. So can you, somebody else asked, so can you have your natural immune level tested? And if yes, how do you do this? It's a, it's a blood test. So it's very simple. Uh, you just have the doctor write an order for getting the blood test. And some labs, I don't know, I know there's sometimes quests, some of the big labs will allow you to order your own tests. Sometimes you just go in and say, mm -hmm. I'll pay cash. Uh, I'm not positive they would run that test, but uh, uh, the, the actual test itself isn't that expensive. I think that if we have to pay for it from our office, it's about 70 bucks for the actual mm -hmm. test. But the, the labs, by the way, if you don't have an arrangement, will try to charge you 700 bucks. So you got to be careful about knowing what the price is if you're getting this without a doctor's order. Um, and 
out of curiosity, when you have this natural immunity tested, can it only be tested on um, the Delta variant or COVID? Or is it sort of, oh, Steve, you've got great immunity for all <laughs> things. Uh, it's actually specific to every infection. Yeah, so okay. you have to say, you have to tell people what test, which IgG antibody level you're looking for, whether it's chicken box or measles, hepatitis. You know, they all are, are uniquely different. Can, and can is it possible to have a to have a blood test and test for several different things, or is it one test one uh, one thing? I think they do run panels, different laboratories have panels that can do, uh, I know in the hospital when people get hospitalized and they don't know what it is, I'll, I'll sometimes see reports from the hospital of, of a um, infectious disease person ordering a panel of antibody levels to try to figure out if anything pokes up in a way that lets them know what it might've been. There's still individual tests, but you get a bunch yes. of them. Exactly. At once. Yeah. Well, and we know the Theranos or whatever that company was that was going to prick our, you know. <laughs> Good story. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it's sad, a great story. Sad isn't story. It? Yeah. It's a sad yeah. story. Yes. Um, okay. Andrew Fernberg says Is the Delta variant perhaps the last one affecting us? Are there any other variants still out there? Yeah, that's a great question, Andrew. And I'm curious how our panel would answer that. Well, it's fortunate that. It's fortunate that the uh, coronavirus, uh, this particular thing, mutates a lot slower than flu, flu vaccine or flu virus does. Uh, so in that way, it's it's fortunate. But it's still uh, given enough replications over time. It does create variations. So um, uh, I'm sh I'm sure there's a statistician out there that can tell you how many replications it takes before you're going to get an average mutation. But it's as long as we keep letting this thing spread among humans. I sometimes um, uh, kind of in a, uh, you know, whatever these bad humor uh, things are, is think I should wear a t-shirt of thank you for, for freeing COVID because it's making me busy. Uh, you know, like, like free Willie, let's, let, let's free the, let's free these viruses. They deserve to live, you know, let them go. And I'm, I'm often astounded at people not understanding that this is a dangerous strategy to let the virus just keep floating because it's going to mutate and who knows what can happen with all the mutations. Right. And some mutations are going to be more dangerous and some aren't going to be a big deal. But as you've seen, the different variants are coming from different parts of the world. And decades ago on an airplane, I read a book called The World is Flat and how we're not contained kind of by our continent or our country anymore. And this is proving it. Oh my goodness. It, it might originate or be found for the first time in another part of the world, but it's going to be here in no time. So I, I think we're far from seeing the end of variants. Okay. Well, good question. Anyways, Andrew. I know I you're looking for positive that. answers. So, um, okay. The, um, uh, somebody asks, can you discuss, is there any valid mass efficacy? If so, what type of mask? Can I answer? Uh, go ahead. No, you go, Michelle. I can tell you've got a good answer. Well, I've been asked this question a lot. Like I say, my, my weekly updates every week are based on people's questions. So even back to the vaccine hesitancy, I think over the weeks I've addressed all of the things that people are talking about. So if anybody wants those, let me know. But um, with masks, there's a few variables. One is the mask is not so much to protect you. I'm going to show you for this. It's to protect other people. Because when we talk, I'm going to turn sideways. When I talk or cough or sneeze or sing, you know, droplets come out. So if I've got that mask barrier, then much less of that is going to go out. If I'm carrying COVID, much less of that will go out to infect other people. So with masks, they need to fit over the nose. No big gaps here at the cheeks, no big gaps here, and no big gaps under here. There, um, and I'm glad to share this, these studies if anybody wants them. There was one that showed that just wearing a mask greatly reduced the number of people that were infected when somebody with, with um, COVID was around other people. And then the better fitting the mask, the better. And as you've seen, Everything on the planet has now been made into a mask. 
And so for consistency sake, parts of Europe have gone back to the blue surgical masks because if you put them on, you can clip them so that they stay over your nose and you can twist them around your ears if you need to, to make them fit better on other parts of your face. And so some parts of Europe have done away with cloth masks and gone solely to surgical masks. The US has not made any, even a statement about that that I've seen. I, I think in the uh, breakdown and the uh, post-analysis of the COVID vaccine, one of the biggest um, regrets will be not being better about under uh, public education about masks, uh, how important they were, how important they should have been, uh, a proper mask, how it should fit, uh, what kind of filtration layers it needed to have, uh, you know, making sure it wasn't around the nose. And just, you know, there was just, it's such a simple public health concept and it's not complicated, but it, it's got, um, it, it unfortunately got politicized or I don't know what it was, uh, but it's been a problem. You're right. And a follow up to this, and again, you know. Oh, oh, one last thing. The only thing I would also say is uh, that, that I would add to Michelle's is that, uh, you know, the N95 rating or whatever, these things do protect you. So if you're in a room with floating, so the virus is floating in the air like dust, and there's a loading dose theory, which is that if you breathe in enough COVID particles, you're going to get sick. So it's, you don't get sick with breathing in two COVID particles. So if you breathe in two particles, you're not in trouble. If you breathe in, we don't know what the loading dose is, but the estimate is maybe a thousand particles. So every breath you take, if you're blocking the COVID particles from getting to your lungs, it means you can be in that environment much longer uh, without getting the thousand particles in that would make you sick. So while it does reduce the number of particles going out from the person who's sick, it does reduce your loading dose so you could stay in a room longer uh, and, and not get sick. So a, a high filtration mask that's fit properly is huge. So. Um, let's see. Um, since we're on the topic of masks, somebody says how, Nicole says, how safe is it to be indoors surrounded by people who are fully vaccinated, but none are wearing masks? Is it safe to go to a social gathering like this? And I've been to a few of these, so I'm a little, you know, keeping my fingers crossed on this answer. So, so this is one of the reasons I'm mad that we don't have any data about antibody levels, because some people, myself included, are often in environments where there's lots of people unmasked uh, who have been vaccinated. I wouldn't want to be in a room for uh, more than just a few seconds or make sure if, I, if they weren't vaccinated. But, uh, but yes, not knowing, if, you know, does my immune levels of a thousand make a difference compared to somebody who's 200. And you could give people much better advice to this question, whether it's safe for them to be in that environment or not. Okay, don't know. So this is, that, that's really good. I mean, it's something for us to be aware of, as you had said, four of your, uh, your clients have it. been vaccinated, but have um, had- I, In that scenario, a lot of people, I would still argue if you're in that room for very long, uh, 20 or 30 minutes, you probably want to have a mask on. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, somebody asks, what information do you have about any deleterious side effects from the vaccine? So, yeah, the most common have been the, the symptoms you get anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours after the vaccine and lasting up to two days. So fever and achy and lethargic and um, similar to what some years you kind of get from the flu vaccine, you're, as your body is building that immune system, then you're going to feel that. Some people have found it to be more with the second vaccine because you've already got a level of immunity and now your body's recognizing it and building more. Um, certainly, there are some cases like with the myocarditis, polypericarditis. Um, last I saw, like 1,200 cases have been identified mostly in young men. So from teenagers to into their thirties, but that's at a 30 million doses, similar to the clots that came out. I, I, I hope everyone appreciates that when those things were identified immediately, scientists are they're looking at it, they're studying it, they're making sure they understand, trying to identify who might be at risk so we can catch them before they get the vaccine and not, not to, 
belittle this. I mean, if you're that case, it's super important to you, but we're talking small, small numbers out of 2.5 billion people receiving the vaccines so far. And I think all those, I, I, I may be wrong about this, but I know that the majority of those myocarditis, pericarditis symptoms resolved and and they You're were fine. they were fine in the long run. Yeah. Unlike, unfortunately, the, the clots that occurred, uh, cerebral clots that occurred with women, uh, where that that is definitely a life altering event. That's a permanent that can be permanent. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a very low risk, but but that was a that was a tragedy. Yeah. Great. And then um, let's see, um, Emily uh, Shoemaker has a couple of things. First, to clarify, she wanted to say, to clarify, getting blood tested for those antibody levels in the body before getting the booster. Oh, getting tested, not giving. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For her previous comment. But then she also asks, how would a doctor write the prescription for a blood test that measures natural immunity? how would, how would you do that? There's, there's a standard COVID antibody um, le- test that's an IgG COVID antibody, and the, which is different than the spike protein antibody, which is associated with the virus, with the vaccine, excuse me. So one, the, the standard uh, IgG COVID antibody tests often will go up with people who've had natural infections, whereas a spike protein antibody is the one that's more specific for the vaccine. Now, a free way to get a yes, no answer. I don't think you can get like the level of immunity. Oh, it's true. CVS. Is to go give blood. And so then somebody, somebody gets blood and there's a benefit to that. And if you've not been vaccinated, they can tell you if you're carrying natural immunity. If you've been vaccinated, it can't sort it out. I think CVS was also offering uh, the IgG, um, what's called a qualitative, meaning yes or no answer, whether your antibodies positive or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is uh, sort of leads into this next question that said, could you talk about over-the-counter tests to see if you have COVID? How frequently should you test yourself? And are these tests good tests? <laughs> well, we are doing a lot of testing. Uh, you know, there's the standard rapid test and and the uh, slower and the, the PCR they're both nasal tests or you can swab in different places, but uh, one test, the rapid test is available at 15 minutes and the slower test uh, you have to send off to the lab. It takes several hours or a day to come back. Um, the accuracy of the PCR test, the slower test is that it's a higher yield, uh, fewer false positives and fewer false negatives. But, now I'm uh, kind of curious about this one. So I, I haven't done the over-the-counter tests that you can buy. But one thing's for sure, uh, you've tested me, Dr. Dappen, and man, there's no way I'm cramming that, that <laughs> Q-tip up my nose with the force that you That's did. That's not a very good endorsement for me there, Steve. <laughs> no, no you're, you're, you're very gentle and caring when you do it. Uh, but, but my thought would be that, like, how important is that? Because if I'm taking a, um, uh, a home test, somebody doing that on themselves is is it very important to get that up there and get an appropriate sample? Well, I think that uh, there are ways. So sampling does make a difference. So how you sample, you know, so if you, if you don't do the test right, you don't get enough particles on the uh, swab, you're not going to get a, uh, you're not going to get the correct answer. So, uh, but there are probably other ways. It's again, this is something where time and multiple studies could improve your knowledge, but you know, you might be able to blow your nose and, and push a little bit of mucus forward and swab very shallow. And, and maybe that's as accurate as going in deeper. There's no question there's going to be particles near the exterior, but okay. going we go deeper just to make sure that we've actually got an adequate sample. No, that's great. Yeah. Okay. And then here's a couple of follow-up questions to things. I know that we've said this a few times, but what is the name of that natural immunity test? If you can just say that one more time. Um, it goes by different names, but it's just, I think it's just, you could just ask say COVID IgG antibody. Okay. And then another follow-up. That's the natural one. Yeah. um, uh, Let's see, just confirming. So 
when you are donating blood, you could potentially ask that person, ask the person, is that what you were saying? You could make a request for that antibody? I just did this two days ago. So now they've now updated the questionnaire to ask if you've been vaccinated. Um, if you say no, then they will automatically check you for antibodies. So then if doing it through the Red Cross, you can log back into your portal and it will tell you if you are antibody positive or negative. Okay. And then, um, boy, this is pretty good here. It says, if the vaccine is effective, why is it that if you are not safe around other vaccinated people or even unvaccinated people? Um, it's effective 85 or 90 or 95%, depending on which variant we're talking about. So we just don't know if you're in that 10 or 15% who don't elicit enough response to be really protected. So one of the important, one of the things uh, about vaccine uh, science is that we know that no vaccine is 100% effective, right? And effectiveness then can be broken into different groups. So one is called sterile immunity, which means if you got the vaccine, you can't get sick at all. You can't transmit the disease after you're immune and you can't get sick. So that's called sterile immunity. Uh, and that's the, uh, the, there's a belief that once you've been vaccinated, you get sterile immunity among everybody. And that is not true. So, so one measurement is sterile immunity. And that's probably about, mm, it depends on the variant and who would group and what age, but let's say it's 85% of people. Uh, so that means that 15% of people could still get uh, COVID. Uh, just the, the, the next question is, once you get COVID, if you have some level of immunity, do you get seriously sick? And on that one, we've been able to show that the vaccine's very effective. Even if you got sick, the chances of hospitalization and death are very, are very significantly reduced. And then we do know that, that if you give a, a same dose to the same population, there are people who never, ever develop immunity. There's just zero no matter how many times you vaccinate them, you can't get them to get a response. And there's a certain percentage of people that that happens to with all vaccines. So this is just part of uh, vaccine science and well understood. What you try to do is create herd immunity where you have enough people that are vaccinated that it's hard for it to spread in the, in the herd of all the population. And that protects those people, like you just said this, but that protects those people that can't be protected through other means. Right, right. Okay, uh, let's see. It's about five minutes to one. Um, got a, a few more questions here I'm going to get through. Um, funeral homes and funeral directors have cared for and buried many people and many family members who've passed away from uh, coronavirus. Any comments about funerals and embalming and viewing bodies? and attending these wakes and funerals. So, uh, well, I guess it's like any indoor- I'm not event. sure what's, I mean, other than the risk of other people, certainly the person who's who's dead is not the, the risk at that point because they're not shedding virus because it's it's spread through breathing. So, so it's all their members in the, in the community who are at that funeral. Yeah, Just, so this it's like any before. other, it's like any other typical gathering, yeah. Exactly. Um, let's see. So should you get tested for the antibody natural immunity before getting the vaccine? From the data I'm seeing, no, but I'll give the caveat. I don't know how much of this is my personal opinion and how much is study. So <laughs> clarify if you disagree, but if you've just had it, give it about 90 days before you get the vaccine because I've known a number of people who just got over it and got the vaccine and had a pretty big response because their body's fighting so hard between still shedding the original virus and now um, eliciting a response to the vaccine. And my only comment too is that, and again, I don't know what the right answer is, but I have quite a few people who've had COVID and are reluctant to get the vaccine because I don't want to get a severe reaction. And um, in that group, I just encourage them, well, you probably can get away with that for a while because you already have some natural immune, you know, natural immunity. We don't know how it'll last, but you know, eight months, a year, you've got enough time to worry about getting a second, uh, get vaccinated. I still think you should get vaccinated a few months after getting sick, but 
but you're probably okay to do that. But if you're going to do that and you're going to wait, go get your antibodies measured to make sure that you actually have an antibody response that's there and can, is protective to you. Good point. And when I say right after, I mean people that got the virus, they're still kind of sick and they get the vaccine. Yeah, like yeah, they're yeah. overlapping. I don't think it's a good idea to I, overlap I, it. I think that's correct. David asks, uh, is there a difference between testing positive and being sick with COVID? Yes. Um, so testing positive, you can test positive. A, it can be a false positive, obviously. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, the, the, the trick with this virus, and it's not unique to this virus because this is how all viruses work, is that you are contagious many times way before uh, you are getting sick. So uh, we think that the window of days where you're, uh, before you actually develop symptoms, where you're actually shedding virus can be two to three days before you actually show sick. And then there's a group of people, and this is the really vexing part of, of this, which is why viruses are so hard to treat, uh, to, to stop, which is a group of people who shed virus and never, ever get sick. They just, uh, so I always say for every Johnny that you're pointing at at school saying it's Johnny's fault that he brought this to school, how dare his parents brought him. There's a Sally somewhere in that audience too, and those kids who never get sick and she spread the virus and playing with everybody and she never gets blamed. So... Especially with the alpha, the original variant, I think we saw that a lot, that some of the people carrying it never even knew they had it because they had no symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping you guys can hang on with me for maybe five more minutes and we'll get through the rest of these questions here. And for those of you that have to jump off, this is recorded. You can go get it on proaging.com this afternoon. Um, so it takes time for our body to build up the immune system. Could you talk about this some more? Someone we know got a breakthrough case of the virus and he says he was told he did not get his vaccine soon enough. So confusing and complicated. So uh, the response to, uh, to these things is it takes a period of time for your immune system to recognize the virus and then to develop the antibodies. Um, and so uh, in immunology, which uh, is part of the study of these uh, antibody development, you develop IgG antibodies, which are the long lasting antibodies. Most people develop something called IgM antibodies first to most infections, which are, they come in faster and they, and they, la they don't last very long. So, so, uh, so what's being measured in all of this is the IgG antibody, which is a long lasting one. I don't know anything about the IgM response. Sorry, it's getting too technical, but it takes at least uh, 10 days to two weeks from the time you get vaccinated. This is why they're saying after you've been vaccinated, you're still not protected for uh, several weeks. You need to wait because you haven't developed the antibodies yet to be protective. Um, okay, and then uh, great. And then somebody says, because I've never done the over-the-counter test, I just assume that it's a nasal swab. Is the over-the-counter test a nasal swab? I think so. Ones I've heard of, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Is there any evidence that at all that the vaccine can have the side effects such as lymphoma? Not that I've ever heard of. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that would typically not show up right away. However, lymph node involvement, that's part of your body building an immune response. So your lymph nodes might be enlarged. And I know that happened with women in mammograms, that if you get the mammogram right after your vaccine, your lymph nodes might be enlarged as part of that immune response. That doesn't mean that you've got breast cancer or anything like that. So typically now they're saying to wait a bit after your vaccine to get your mammogram. Yeah, good point. Okay, and let's see, got a, okay. Um, okay, so, okay. so if, if you don't get seriously ill and you're vaccinated, why are we limiting a group gathering? That relates to the previous comment that you could be, uh, contagious and never get sick, correct? But you could be around someone who has not elicited a good immune response and they're going to get really sick. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, okay, and I'm thinking, okay, 
sterile immunity cannot get sick and cannot get the virus. This is so involved and complicated. Do doctors know this? How do you how do you find a doctor to ask questions and take care of us in this complicated uh, environment? Uh, well, we got a great one here, Dr. Dappen. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I feel like the last questions that are on the pile here are more comments and things that we've addressed and we're, we're past one o'clock and I know both of you have busy schedules. I really, I want to thank our audience for these, for yes. these great engagement <laughs> and questions. Uh, it's, it's why I love doing these every, you know, I, I look forward to them just to, to hear the questions that come out, but I really appreciate both of you responding rapid fire to these um, unscripted questions and you well, really- and and I would like to just add, thank you, Steve, for doing this, and Michelle, for your great answers. But I, I would like to encourage anyone who might have insomnia that they might watch this later at night to help fall asleep to listen to my responses. And say, I, I don't understand what that guy's talking about. No, it's you don't give yourself enough credit, it's an Dr. insomnia Gaffin. cure, right here. Yeah, both of you are. I, I could listen to both of you for a long time. So, um, so. I thank you, everybody, and. Uh, Join us tomorrow and next week, and uh, I'll get this recording up, and I'll make sure that we have contact information for both Dr. Dappen and Michelle. Thanks Thank a lot, you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You bet.